Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so happy to see you here this morning. As you find your seats, would you remain standing as we worship together?
baptism. Amen? And so this morning, uh, we're excited to do that. And before we baptize, I just want to explain what's going on and what's not going on. First of all, when we baptize somebody, uh, what we're not doing is we're not washing away their sin. And I hope you understand that because a lot of people get that mixed up. But these waters are not going to wash away your sin. If they would, well, man, I'd just try to get everybody up here and dunk them just as soon as they was born. You know it? But uh, it's not the water that washes away your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that does that. And the way that happens is when we receive what Christ has done by faith. And so when somebody's standing in these baptismal waters like this, it's what, first of all, they're confessing something to you that they've already confessed to God. They're confessing that, look, I have sinned against God. I admit that I'm a sinner. If I get what I deserve, I'd go to hell. I'd be judged for my sin. But the old me has died with Jesus on the cross. And when that person goes under the water, because we baptize by immersion according to Scripture, when that person goes under the water, it's a picture of not only of how they've died with Jesus, but how their old self has been buried with Jesus. And when they come up out of the water, it's a picture of how they're a new person with Jesus. It's a picture of the resurrection. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And through faith, being united with Him spiritually, the old me has died, the old me is buried, and the old me, praise God, is a new person in Christ Jesus. And so that's what's happening when we baptize someone, is they're showing you what's already happened inside of them by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, James Weir's come. Some of you know James. Come on down, James. This, some of you know James by Kevin. And James has been coming to church here the past couple months. And uh, some of you probably know Annie Weir. This is uh, her brother in law. And, James has got involved in Bible study here with us at church. Been coming on to Sunday school, but he's also been coming to a small group I lead on Wednesdays, and and just got real plugged in here with us. And as we've been talking over the past few weeks, a few different times, James has said, "You know, I I, I need to be baptized, people. I've never been baptized, and, and uh, I need to do that." And he he was telling me just now. He said, "You know, this I've been waiting so long for this." And he said, this is the place where I feel like I can grow. This is where I've got friends. And I'm, I'm seeing people each Sunday that I, that, I, that I know. And so I'm so excited to hear that, that you as a church family are, play, are playing that role in James's life. So we, I praise the Lord for that and I'm thankful for it. But James, I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning just so people can hear from your own lips what you've already told me, but most importantly, you've told the Lord with your heart. James, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I do. Do you believe that the Son of God, that the Lord Jesus, came to this world and was born of a virgin? I do. All right. James, do you believe that you've sinned against God? I do. Do you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross? Yes, I do. Are you trusting in what Jesus alone, what He did to save you, what He did alone and nothing else? Yes, I do. And do you want to repent and turn and follow Jesus? I sure do. He's going to be king from now on. Forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord, James, if you turn around like this here. Well, James, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people say amen. Amen. Well, there's plenty of water up here, but I always like to tell folks the first place you need to go is Calvary. And the old song says there's room at the cross for you. Amen. So the first thing you need to do right where you're sitting is you need to call upon the name of the Lord, admit that you've sinned against God, and put all your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not get through the next song 
before your heart stops beating or before the Lord Jesus comes back. So I plead with you, if you haven't already, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. One of the things we want to do as a church family is we want to be sure that we fulfill our calling and the Great Commission. We want everybody to hear the gospel that lives in this area and beyond for that matter. And so right now there's an emphasis in our church called Everyone Hears that we've been talking about for some time. And uh, we're going to show a little video about that right now. And, and uh, if you guys will cue the video, and then Tim here will say something about that as we continue to worship. Thank you, Brother Tim. And this fellow here with me is Eddie Pullen. And uh, Eddie is a, a church planning strategist for the Illinois Baptist State Association. And uh, we got to know him this past summer as... Um, through someone else, we were introduced to everyone here. Eddie's kind of responsible for uh, helping uh, put this together and introduce it to churches in, in the state of Illinois. And, and uh, his secretary is... Uh, Carmen. Carmen, uh, now, Mullinax. Yeah, oh, Randy's... Uh, well, yeah, Rachel Carter. Rachel Sorry. Carter, she works for him, so there's a connection there. He knows Randy. Some of you know Randy from a long time ago. So, so anyway, uh, we're glad to have him here this morning. Uh, he's from uh, East Tennessee, too. So he's kind of a homeboy here as well, so you know. Uh, yeah, boy, I tell you what. So we're looking forward to having him here this morning, and, and uh, I know he's got a heart for the Lord and a heart for the lost, and his son Isaac drove up with him this morning and is here, and so we're glad to have you guys with us. And you come and preach the word for us this morning. Brother. Thank you, brother. It's an honor to be here. I'm grateful. Thank you so much for the uh, opportunity and the privilege to be here today. Uh, my name is Eddie, and um, I am just overjoyed with the opportunity to be able to share with you from God's Word. It is a distinct honor uh, to be able to serve the almost 1,000 churches of uh, IBSA across this great state. And so um, thank you for your giving, thank you for your, uh, your, your stewardship, and it is because of your faithfulness that we are able to, um, to present and, and give initiatives like everyone hears uh, to not just your church, but uh, any church that wants to participate across this great state. Let me encourage you, if you do not have an outline to get one, does anybody need an outline? Just lift your hand, I'm sure we've got some, anybody need an outline or has everybody got one? Very good. You can take this home with you, put it in your Bible, share it again with somebody else. That's just fine. Um, but I, I would, uh, sci scientists tell us that if we have something to look at and tangibly hold and actually interact with, that we'll remember more uh, about the topic. And so that's the reason why I provide these. Um, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into the message. God, today I pray that you would remove Eddie and Jesus that you would be seen. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that your son Jesus Christ would shine brightly in this place. Eddie has nothing important to say apart from what you share with and through me. And so I pray that uh, the meditation of my heart and the thoughts that you give to me would be pleasing in your sight, oh God. And I pray that today you would give us hearts to hear what you are saying to us. And then God help us to have the guts and to go and do what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. Fritz Chrysler lived about 50 or 100 years ago. 1875 was his year of birth. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Fritz Chrysler, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He's a very interesting character, one of the greatest violinists who ever lived. And uh, he made a lot of money in his day, an awful lot of money, because he would play for these great symphony halls and, and the rich people would come out and hear him and give him uh, large amounts of salary, if you will. But here's the thing about it. Fritz Chrysler gave most of his money away. He gave most of it away. He was a good-hearted soul. I don't know if he was a Christ follower or not, but he gave most of his money away. And on one of his trips, he had the opportunity to play several different violins. Um, he had someone who was like searching all over the United States and even the world looking for the best sounding violins so that he could continue to get better and better and better and, and, and play more melodiously. And on uh, this particular occasion, he found out of about 10 violins, he found one that was the Holy Grail. I mean, it was the most beautiful he had ever heard, but he didn't have enough money to buy it because he had given most of his money away. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy this violin from the seller. And uh, it was quite a while before he built up enough cash and money to come back and purchase that particular violin. And when he came back, the seller had already sold it to a collector a collector. And so Fritz Chrysler made his way to the collector's house. And he said, I would like to buy that violin. It's the most melodious violin I've ever heard. And the collector said, it's not for sale, not for sale. This is a true story, by the way, not for sale. And so Chrysler said, well, if you won't sell it to me, would you at least give me the privilege of playing it at least one more time before it is consigned to silence? And so the collector said, I will. And so Fritz Chrysler got the violin and he tuned it and he started playing in this, this, this collector's home, which was a large open air area. And the music flowed out as beautifully, more beautifully than the collector had ever heard. And it changed the collector's heart. And he said, it would be a crime for this particular violin that plays so well to be consigned to silence because he was going to put it away to where it wouldn't decay. He said, you take this violin for free and you go and let the world hear how beautifully it plays. Today, I want to be sharing a message with you, the biblical and modern significance for evangelism. The biblical and modern significance for evangelism. Imagine with me just for a moment if everyone in Mount Carmel had an opportunity to hear the gospel, every man, woman, and boy, and girl had an opportunity to hear the gospel, see the gospel, and experience the gospel on multiple occasions in a language they could understand and interact with, do you think that it would make a difference in Mount Carmel? Do you think it would make a difference in your county? Do you think it would make a difference in southern Illinois, middle Illinois, and, and, and the whole state, quite honestly? My former supervisor, his name was Van Kicklighter, he said this often, often enough that I can quote it by heart. He said, most people are lost not because they have rejected the gospel. Most people are lost because what? What? They've never heard the gospel. 
You say, well, I'm not sure that's true around here in Mount Carmel. I'm not sure that that's true in Southern Illinois. This is considered Southern Illinois, right? I'm not sure that's, that's true in Southern Illinois. Well, I just want you to know I've been doing a, a study, an informal research project in Marion, in Springfield, and mostly Springfield and below, even all the way down to Metropolis. And I want you to know that out of about 50 people that I've asked and engaged with this question, only one young man in a restaurant responded in an appropriate manner. The question is this. I simply ask, what is the gospel? A, wait, a waitress or a waiter or somebody at a hotel where I'm staying, I'll ask them. I'll, I'll ask them, what is the gospel? Can you? It's not a trick question. Um, I, I'm not trying to, you know, to fool you or anything. But if I were to ask you what the gospel is, could you tell me? What is the gospel? How would you define it? And I've heard everything from, well, it reminds me of music. Hmm? Hmm, gospel music. I like gospel music, but music doesn't save one. Um, the gospel, I, I heard the word in church. Well, praise God, but church doesn't save you. Uh, gospel reminds me of God. Okay, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. One young man, one young man down in the Marian region said, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and I've repented of my sin and by faith received him into my life and he's washed my sins away. Now I'm not looking for a treatise. I'm not looking for a, uh, you know, a soliloquy or somebody to give you, me the four points of, you know, the, of the gospel. And I, I, I'm just simply, what I'm looking to hear is Jesus takes my sins away. One person out of about 50. People are lost not because they've rejected the gospel so much, they're lost because They've never heard the gospel. Let me give you a definition of biblical God-centered evangelism. Biblical God-centered evangelism. God's messenger proclaiming God's message to God's world for God's purpose by God's appointed mean through God's power. Did you hear me or you in any of that? Evangelism is God's activity and he uses us as instruments to share the greatest message the world has ever heard. I want to say it again. God's messenger proclaiming God's message to God's world for God's purpose by God's anointed means through God's power. And so what is the need for evangelism? We're going to look in the word and we're going to find out God's biblical foundation for evangelism then and now. And I want you to know, before we look in the text, I want you to know that evangelism has gotten a bad name. You say, okay, prove it. I will prove it. Even the Pope in recent days has said, if you try to proselytize someone to Christianity, then that person indeed is not a Christian themselves. That's a quote. You can go and look it up. And I'm not trying to bash anyone or any religion. I'm not, look, I'm not trying to, 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 to hammer anybody today. I'm simply quoting what the Pope said. He said, if you try to turn someone to Christianity and you try to have them be persuaded toward Christianity, then the person who's doing the persuading is not a Christian themselves. I don't understand what he's trying to say. And at the very least, I disagree. I completely disagree. My friends, a part of the reason why you are here on this earth, breathing air, eating food, sleeping in your bed, is to give glory to God by telling other people about who he is. I want you to understand, we get to do this. It's not a drudgery. It is a joy. 
We get to share life-giving words, life-giving power, a life-giving God to people who don't have hope. It's just what the pastor said a little while ago. We give hope to people who have no hope. We didn't create the hope, but we have the hope. And Jesus gives it to us to share. In Acts chapter 26, if you will, just go ahead there and turn there. It's on your outline as well. Um, this is the ESV I'll be reading in just a moment. Paul has been accused of the capital offense of blasphemy by the leaders of the Jews. And to prevent his being handed over to them for judgment, he had appealed his case to Caesar. Obviously, the Roman, uh, the Roman king, if you will. And so after two years of captivity, he was called upon to state his case before King Herod Agrippa. And here is what he said. And Paul gives witness to what Jesus said to him. And so he starts with what Jesus is saying to him. But rise and stand on your feet. Jesus said this to Paul when he was knocked off his donkey and blinded. This is previous to his conversion. But rise and stand to your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, Jesus says to Paul, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am now sending you. Why? To open their eyes so that they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Sounds an awful lot like God is sending the apostle Paul, it was Saul, now the apostle Paul, to the Jews and to the Gentiles to deliver them from darkness to light. God is saying to Paul, through his son Jesus, when he knocked him off of his donkey and blinded him on the road, remember that road? I mean, he, he encountered God. He's saying, I want you to be my servant that you may uh, turn them from darkness to light. So here's the big idea. You're not going to remember every point today that I preach, and that's okay. I do want you to remember this one point. Here's the big idea, the main imperative of the message. Evangelism is God's activity from beginning to end, from beginning to end, for the carrying out of his eternal plan, springing from his eternal love, and executed in his manifold wisdom through his faithful people. Now that's a mouthful, but if you want to just shorten that, let me just put it this way. Evangelism is God's plan and you are involved in it. Evangelism is God's plan and God involves you in it. Number one, Paul was made an evangelist by God for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Paul was made an evangelist by God for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Why was Paul an evangelist? I mean, all of a sudden, did he wake up one day and decide to become an evangelist? I don't know if you know anything about the previous life of Paul. He was Saul, and he used to kill Christians. He used to kill evangelists. And now, all of a sudden, he just decides to become one? That's not the way it happened. Did he finally think up uh, one day, you know, he woke up and he said, you know, the world needs to hear about this Jesus. I know I've been killing his followers and persecuting them for many years now, but they need to hear about him and I have a change of heart. No, 
you know that Paul never decided to be a preacher of Jesus. He was made a preacher of Jesus. He was made an evangelist. Listen, friend, listen. He was apprehended. He was apprehended, taken captive, compelled for Christ. Uh, my family and I, over the holidays, we just watched The Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie, and most of you have probably seen that. And I don't know if you remember, but when, uh, when the children, the four children are in the, uh, the den of the beaver, and I can't remember the beaver's name, but I sure do remember what he says. He says, Aslan is on the move. And Aslan represents the Christ-type character in the movie. Aslan is on the move. I want you to understand something, friend. Christ is on the move in our world today. He is still saving people. He is still transforming lives. We saw this gentleman, he was just baptized up here today. We praise God for a picture that was, uh, that was in front of us, baptism of an old life passed away and a new life that has come. I want you to know Christ is still at work. He's not lost his power. There may be darkness around us, but he has overcome. The light has overcome the darkness. And guess what? You're on the right side if you know Christ. And you not only are on the right side, you carry the light. And you have the privilege of sharing this light with those who are in darkness. And you, you have been apprehended. No man comes to the Father by himself. You didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and say, I want to follow Jesus. Of course not. God was hot on your trail through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God was whispering to you over and over and over again, Jesus is the way. You need Jesus. Follow Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sin by faith. Follow him. Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit pointing Jesus. And Jesus, what he doing on this earth? What Jesus do? Father, Father, Father. Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus gives witness of the Father. It's the nature of the triune God we serve. Listen, you didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and day and, and, and decide, I'm going to get saved today. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. What happened was the Holy Spirit pursued you. He pursued you until you were compelled to follow Christ. And I want you to know he chose you for his glory. And not only did he choose you for his glory, he chose you also to share his glory with others. And so you've received the light. Now be reflectors of the light. I encourage you to do that in Mount Carmel and wherever God leads this great church to go. And by the way, I've heard great testimonies about this church. And I'm thankful for a pastor who will weep warm tears because he's got a hot heart for people in a community who may be cold in their own hearts. But it doesn't have to be that way for long. You know, Southern Baptists used to be known as a, a, a denomination, a, a group of Christ followers, a group of Christians who would evangelize the world and we had big plans and we were going to share the gospel with the whole world and it seems that there was a season where we lost our way I pray that it would never happen in this church I pray that it would never happen in the churches in the state of Illinois for if we are not lights then what is our mission what are we doing
If we don't bring hope to those in the community around us, what are we doing? What good are we? And I'm thankful for one, that you're doing something. I'm thankful that it's everyone hears. But even if it wasn't everyone hears, who's your one? Three circles, Roman road, whatever the case may be, be about sharing the gospel with those around you. And let me just tell you, on an individual level, a great way to do that is start praying for people who are lost and God will warm your heart toward them. He will. And then you care for them. And once you care for them by serving them, you win the right to share the gospel with them. And if you don't know how to share the gospel, then I would encourage you to speak with your pastor and, and, and some of those that are in leadership here. They'll help you. They'll give you three circles or who's your one or the Roman road. You know what? The methodology doesn't matter. It simply matters. Are you pursuing people in the world who do not know Christ? That is a question for you. Are you pursuing people in the world? I'm talking about intentionally intentionally on purpose making relationships with people on the card that you've provided in the gym uh where, where wherever you may go at school intentionally making relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel well let's get back to my notes here all that was free all right so we let me just let me move forward and say this from from the letter to the ephesians Here's what Paul says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. By the way, I'm not the only minister here. If you know Jesus Christ, guess what you are? If you know Jesus Christ, if you've ever responded in repentance and faith to Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul said. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He says, I was made a minister and it was a gift. I'm thankful for it. Which, has given, which was given me by the working of his power. I didn't get the gospel on my own. He gave it to me through his son, Jesus. To me, though I am the very least of all his saints, do you hear what he say? I am the least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone and to bring to the light everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me encourage you. Here's the application. No sermon is a good sermon without application. Here's where it gets real. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you are a Christ follower. If you've ever repented of your sin and by faith followed Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. You need to know that. I pray that your fellowship with him is good. But you know this. If you've ever responded in repentance and faith, you have a relationship with Christ. I pray that your fellowship is tender and sweet and malleable. And I pray that you are close to him. I pray that you are so close to him that you understand his heart. And his heart for those who follow after him is to be examples and witnesses, lights in a dark world where people need to have hope and light and truth and love 
and mercy and grace. Answer me this. Are people who are lost going to find the answer in the political system? Are people who are lost going to find the answer in their sports heroes? Are people who are lost going to find the answer in all of the things they may chase after? The Bible teaches us that we have to open their eyes. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And God grants you the gift and the privilege. And I want you to see it as such, my friend. It is a gift and a privilege to bring hope to the captives. To bring a key that unlocks the chains so they can go free. It is a distinct privilege. And if they reject the key, then listen. That's not your responsibility but your responsibility is to present the key, to present the hope, to present the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are called to deliver God to a godless world. We are called to deliver God to a godless world. We're called to deliver hope to a hopeless world. We're called to deliver love in a loveless world. We're called to deliver, deliver salvation to a lost world. And that's what you get to do, my friends. That's what you get to do. You get to do it. It is a distinct privilege. You see, God called you. First, he captivated you. And then he called you to be an evangelist, a minister for his sake. And now you get to represent him as his ambassador in this world and I pray I pray that you will follow through it is an activity of the triune God carried out through God's instruments under God's authority by God's power to fulfill a purpose which God determined before the creation of the world God is in charge of evangelism now listen you don't have to convince anybody to follow Jesus it is not your job to come with persuasive words as Paul said listen what you need to do is present the facts. And the facts are these. The facts are that men, women, boys, and girls have willfully violated the law of God, which is called sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we are all doomed and damned to spend eternity away from God in a place called hell. Yes, I said it. I'm not afraid to say it. Jesus talks more about hell than he does every, uh, every other uh, topic except finances. And he talks about hell three times as much as he does heaven. Go and check it out. Verify the facts. I want you to understand something, friend that we are called to deliver those from darkness to the light. Now, we don't actually do the physical delivering, but what we do is present the facts, and then we present the remedy, and we help to open their eyes. That's what we help to do. But God determines those who will be saved. We simply must be obedient. He determines those who will come to faith in him. I don't. Listen, it frees me up. It, 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 someone else's salvation is not dependent on me. Jesus already took care of that at the cross. He already says, I will compel them to myself. Our responsibility is to give glory to God by presenting the facts to a world that doesn't know. Now, we present those facts with a hot heart because we so desperately want them to come to know Jesus. So men and women, boys and girls who don't know Christ, 
who are headed for a, a certain doom can be intercepted by God with this great story called the gospel. It is the story of his only begotten son. Gospel means good news. This good news that you have the privilege to share. I mean, who doesn't like to share good news? Who doesn't like to share good news? Someone shared with me, I think the doctor came out and said, well, you've just had a boy. I was in there for one of them and one of them I wasn't. And he came out and you just had a boy. He got to share good news. Someone one time called to me and said, uh, you know what? You get a refund. I said, I'll take it. Bless God, thank you. That was good news. I get to call with good news all the time, different people across our state, and say to them, we praise God for you. You've done a great job. This is good news. The gospel is the greatest news ever to fall on human ears, and you get to proclaim it. Number two, let's quick move quickly here. Paul's mission was to make a change in the condition and the status of men. To make a change in the mission, condition and status of men. Um, let me give an illustration just to, to give a window of enlightenment to what we're talking about here. Almost every movie coming out these days has this theme, it seems to me. This seems to me. This theme embedded in the protagonist character, the main, the main character. Uh, this theme, and it is this. You have the ability to change the world, or greater still, you have the ability to save the world. A lot of movies, not all of them, but a lot of movies that are coming out today, you have the ability to change the world or you have the ability to save the world. And uh, deep, you know what, I got to thinking about this. I think deep within the heart of man and woman, we understand that we're made for something great. We're made for something noble. We're made for something majestic and wonderful and bigger than ourselves. And I want to say to you, God can use you to save those in the world. He can. You don't do the saving. You do the sharing. He does the saving, but he uses you. Can there be anything better said of a man or a woman? I want to ask you, can there be anything better said of a man or a woman than that is a woman after God's own heart? Let me just, let me just put it right down on your level. That woman looks like God. Really? You say, can, ladies, can, can, can you really look like God? Absolutely, you can. Bible says all the way back in Deuteronomy, God says, be like me. Look more and more and more like me. And so we look like God when we become more conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. Is there anything that can be said of a man more important or a young man or a young lady more important than that man looks like God? The characteristics of God are on that man. There is love. There is justice. There's grace. There's mercy. There's love. That man looks like Jesus. That woman looks like Jesus. There's no greater testimony. No greater testimony. You can help save the world. Paul's mission was to make a change in the condition and status of men. Look back at the text, if you will. Verse 18, Jesus said this to Paul, to open their eyes. I am sending you, latter part of verse 17, 
I'm sending you to them to what? Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So imagine with me, just for a moment, if you will, people around you who do not know Jesus. I remember when I was, <clears throat> when I was uh, a young father, and I can't remember if it was my son Isaac who's with me today or my older son Jacob, I can't remember, but I was sleeping and I was really tired and I was on the couch and my boys were trying to get my attention and my eyes were closed. Well, guess what they tried to do? They came over and put their little grubby fingers on my eyelids and opened my eyes as if to say to me, Dad, if you open your eyes, you'll see how important it is that my request is before you now. And I'm sure it was all about either something to eat or something to play, right? And they tried to physically open my eyes with their fingers. I want you to understand spiritually, spiritually, oh, you know where we're going, spiritually, you Go to people who have their eyes closed and I want you to know they can't open them themselves. The Bible says very clearly in a number of different places that they are what? Blind. They're blind. And so God uses you to come and to pry spiritually their eyes open. How do you do that? You tell them about their sins and they're going to agree with you that they've done wrong. They understand man's sin. We all know that we've done wrong. And then what you're able to say to them is that sin that you've committed has consequences, but there is a way out. There's a way of escape. There's salvation. You can be saved. Saved is a nautical term. A nautical term, it, it, it depicts as if a man or a woman is going under the sea and, the, and, and for the last time going under and they're going to drown, certain drowning, and they go under for the last time and all of a sudden a strong arm reaches down into the sea and pulls them up. That is the salvation we are speaking of. And so you, you help to save them. You don't do the saving, but you open their eyes so they can see the Savior. Does that help? They're, in, they're blind. They're in darkness, and they don't even know it. The Bible says, open their eyes. It means to cure their spiritual blindness. To some degree, you're a spiritual ophthalmologist. Think about that. You help people see better. A spiritual ophthalmologist. You help to open their eyes so that they can see clearly the truth of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there is no other truth to be seen. There is no one else coming. Did you hear what I said? There's no one else coming. He's already been here. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us right now. And I plead with you. I plead with you. And whatever, do whatever you have to do to, to, to learn to share the gospel with other people. It's not really that difficult. I can give you a crash course in 30 seconds. Tell them what your life was like before Jesus. Tell them what happened when, they, when you came to know Jesus. And now tell them what your life is like after Jesus, post-Jesus. That you're not perfect in acting it out, work, but you're working it out. You're working out. You're working it out, and one of these days you'll spend eternity with him. Tell him what you were like, what your life was like, what happened when Jesus saved you, and now what your life is like now. That's being a witness, simply what you've experienced. Nobody can negate that. Well, they can, 
but it would be foolish for them to negate your own experience. You can share with them what Jesus has done. So quickly, they're guilty of sin against God, people who don't know Christ. Um, not only that, they, uh, they're natural man, which is equivalent in the Bible to being fallen. And let me just say this, people, don't ever be surprised at what a man or a woman does who is lost. And here's the reason why I say that. A man or a woman who does not have the light of Jesus in their life is dominated by the principle of self. Dominated by the principle of self. What pleases me? What makes me feel good? What causes me to be aggrandized and lifted up? What causes me to be powerful? What causes me pleasure? The principle of of domination when it comes to selfishness and self-sufficiency and self-determination and self-justification. And so we should never be surprised at what a man or a woman does without Jesus. But you know what? We, uh, We have the privilege of helping them to turn from that viewpoint, that worldview of life, which quite honestly is living death. It's to live with burden and guilt and shame and baggage. And no no matter how much much they think they're living it up, there's a big pile of baggage and garbage behind them that they pull around and drag around. If they really are honest with themselves and with you, they'll admit that. And the weight and the guilt. I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a young lady named Jaden at a coffee shop about a week ago in Gillespie, Illinois. 25 years old. We were sharing the three circles, which is God's plan and then sin and, and how we've sinned. And then Christ and the gospel about how he takes care of our sin and puts us back into right relationship with God. And in the midst of sharing about the burden of sin and shame and the guilt of our iniquities and the mistakes we've made in the past she started weeping in the midst of it I'd never met her before she started weeping profusely because she knew the weight of her sin I'd like to tell you that she accepted Christ she did not but I want you to know that we continue to pray for her and I believe she's going to be saved and I pray to God that he will salvage her soul and save her soul and I believe he'll do that for many people around here we're going to conclude Uh, There's many other things I want to share, but I'm out of time. I want to give you a couple things here, and then I'm just going to read them rapidly, and then we're going to close. The preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, brings the opening of the heart, opening of spiritual eyes, removes the spiritual incapacity to receive the things that God reveals. Did you just hear what you get to do? I mean, think about that removes the spiritual moral incapacity to receive the things that God reveals to them. Several scriptures, 1 Peter 1.22, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, and the word is the good news that was preached to you. The spiritual mind receives the things of God. And so you help them receive it. Number two, uh, secondly, the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel brings them to truth by which they escape the darkness of ignorance and by which they are made wise unto salvation. They recognize the fact that they need salvation. They need to be saved. And they know they can't save themselves. You help them realize that. 
Number three, or C, the preaching of the gospel brings men and women deliverance from the power of Satan in dwelling sin and the world. My friend, if you're a Christ follower in this place, you do not have to give in to that sin that troubles you now. You do not have to. You have the power of God. The Holy Spirit lives in your life. And the power of God is more powerful than any indwelling sin from the power of Satan. He's already defeated the evil one and anything that comes from the world. And you can help others around you understand that as well. Lastly, through the power of the gospel, God makes men righteous. He imputes his righteousness, causes them to be reconciled to God, and causes them to be granted the status of God's sons or daughters. And you have the privilege of sharing this great gospel with people around you in this community. You know, I look out those windows. Those are beautiful windows. I love how the light comes in. But you know what I can see? I can see a white house there, and I can see a brick house there. And there's a couple of white houses I see there. And then uh, there's a white house there, and I think there may be some apartments on up there on the right. And then there's kind of a tan vinyl house there. I'm wondering if anyone in this church knows their spiritual condition. Does anyone in this church know their spiritual condition? Is anyone praying for them? I bet there are. God wants to save them. And there are more. And I just believe if you share the gospel of all of Mount Carmel and beyond, not all of them will be saved, but some will. Some will. Close with this illustration. The night the Titanic sank, true story, the night the Titanic sank in 1912, on April the 14th, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters. John Harper, after putting, on his, after putting his only daughter on a lifeboat, John Harper was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before the hypothermia became fatal. Reverend John Harper swam up to one young man who had climbed up on a piece of debris, and Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, Are you saved? The young man replied that he was not. Pastor Harper then tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man who was in near shock reply, No, no. Here's a young man about to die. And he rejects the gospel. John Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to the young man and said, Here then, you need this more than I do. And he swam away to some other people. A few minutes later, John Harper was led back and swam back to the young man and succeeded in leading him to faith in Christ. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by the lifeboats, one of them was this young man on the debris. Four years later, at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up and in tears recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ in the icy waters. Reverend Harper had tried to swim back to help the other people that he had initially gone to, yet because of the intense cold, he had grown too weak to swim. And his last words, the last words of Reverend John Harper before going under the frigid waters were these. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
And you will not find this scene in the Hollywood version of Titanic. But I want you to know this is the most important story about that sinking. And I'm wondering that while you still are alive and you're not on your last breath going under the waters, will you proclaim as you walk alive, will you live for the gospel every day? Will you live for the glory of God as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I pray that you will pray for lost people by name. I pray that you will care for lost people. Even if I don't know them, absolutely, all the more so. You'll serve them and care for them. And then finally, when you've won the right, you'll share the gospel with them. I want you to know this is part of the reason, not all of the reason, but this is part of the reason why you've been called to follow Christ, is to take the light of Christ into this world for his glory. Let's have a word of prayer. And I want to finally close with this. Just bow your heads if you will. How many of you here would say, I am asking God today to give me the boldness to pray for people who are lost, to care for people who are lost, and then ultimately I want to share the gospel with them. And even though I may not have done this in quite a while, or maybe you did it last week, either way, would you say, and I'm not going to call your name, I'm not going to call you for it unless you just want to come in a moment. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand, just to lift your hand and then put it back down. If you would say, dear God, this is not a commitment to me. If it's a commitment to me, keep your hand down. I have no power. But if you would say to God, I want to pray and care and share for people in this community and beyond, and I'm asking God's power to involve me in his plan to save the world. What a privilege. Could I see to my right and your left, just this left section, no one looking around except me, my right and your left, just this, this right hand or left section? How many of you would say yes? I see your hand, thank you. Yeah, hands everywhere. Pastor, Pastor, you would be pleased. You'd be incredibly delighted. Thank you. So I see you, young man. You can put it down. Yeah, young men, young ladies. God bless you. Thank you. I sit in the back. Yeah. No embarrassment whatsoever. I probably don't even know your name. I won't call you out. This commitment's between you and the Lord. What about this middle section? Anyone like that? Would you say I want to pray and care and share with people? God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Yeah, I see your hand. Thanks. I see you, man. Yep, I see you, buddy. Yep, I see you, young man. Yes, young lady. God bless you. God bless you. What about to my left and your right? Anybody over here? Thank you, sir, on the front. In the middle, in the back. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I see you in the back, right up here on the front. God bless you. In the back. Thank you. I see you, ma'am. Bless you. I want to pray for those of you who lifted your hands, and even those who didn't, but your heart is right. God, would you give these people the power and the understanding that this is your business. It is your plan to save the world. And you simply ask us to be involved. We pray that we would carry out this great commission with joy. And that we would shout it from the mountaintops. And that indeed, as that old Christmas carol says, go tell it on the mountain. I pray we'd tell it in the mountain, we'd tell it in the valley. (laughs) 
just as Harper told it in the sea. And we'd tell it while we're alive. And with our dying breath, we would say, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Just a moment, we're gonna stand. And if any of you just wanna kinda solidify that commitment, if you want to, there's no pressure at all. I want you to know, I'm not a pressure-packed preacher at all, but if you want to, and you just kinda wanna nail it down, that's where I really made the commitment. I was gonna share Jesus. I'm gonna pray for people, I'm gonna serve them and care for them, and I'm gonna share the gospel. If you just wanna remember, and the old devil brings up your past, and he says, oh, you're no good, you're not making a difference, you'll say, oh, yes, I am, by the power of God, I made a commitment at that altar or in that seat if you just want to do that now, your pastor's going to be here. He's going to stand here. If you just want to kneel by yourself and pray to God and nail that thing down or some other reason to join this church, to say you want to be a part of everyone here's, maybe you need to be baptized, maybe you need to be saved and you need to repent of your sins and by faith come to know Jesus. We'd love for you to do that as well. Stand to your feet and make that one step First, one step forward. Come on right now, if you'd stand. We'll sing together. God bless you. Privilege for me to be here. What gift of grace is Jesus my there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my 